Greetings, my good people. How are we? What's going on? How was your weekend? Monday off to a good start? Yes, it is another week. And you know what that means as we kick off each and every Monday with the newest and latest edition of the J Reels podcast, bringing you everything that's going on in the world of sports. I am your host, J Reels. This is your first time getting a chance to listen to what it is I have to say about the world of sports. Thank you very much for downloading and listening to this podcast, and hopefully you'll come back for many, many more, so welcome aboard. And for those who've been with me on this journey from episode 1 to 21, 31, 51, now 61. That's right, Roger Maris in the house. I welcome you guys back. Tons to discuss as we go through the sports landscape. We have the baseball in full swing 10 days into a season, and the Mets and Yankees are still playing well, although the Mets lose their first series of the year against the Nationals at home, while the Yankees have certainly righted the ship as they just pounded the Baltimore Orioles as they recovered after that first opening weekend series where they lost 2-3 or to the Orioles. We'll have that. The NHL playoffs begin on Wednesday, and the Islanders will actually host for the first time, and this is going to be unimaginable to say, the first time they're actually hosting a playoff series to open the tournament since 1988. So it's been 31 years since they've started the playoffs hosting a playoff series. We'll get into that against the Penguins as well as around the rest of the NHL as we get that started. The chase for Lord Stanley come in a couple of months. The NBA postseason will begin this coming weekend, but we still have some business to take care of as there's a couple of regular season games. The Brooklyn Nets are in the postseason, so hooray to the 40 Net fans that are in the tri-state area. We'll get into all the basketball as far as the pros are concerned. The NFL stuff, the Jets with their new uniforms. AB is chirping again. I just wish he could shut up so I could stop talking about him, but he's nevertheless in the news. But we'll kick off with round ball of the college version. And then there were two. March Madness is now obviously in April. And it has been a tournament before we get to tonight's game and obviously the Final Four. It has been a tournament that... Certainly, there's been some surprise. There's been a lot of close games. Those regional finals, as we talked about last week, were fantastic. And then you have what took place in Minneapolis on Saturday, especially in that first game between Auburn and Virginia, which a lot of people to this very second are still talking about and how that game ended. And we'll kick off the podcast with that. I know if you're Auburn who has never made it to a championship game for the guy like Charles Barkley, for the guy of Bo Jackson. I understand he played football, but still Auburn Tiger and, of course, Cam Newton, a recent vintage. But I know everyone down in that neck of the woods in SEC country that root for the Tigers are just sick to their stomachs and just cannot wrap their heads around what took place there in the final .6 seconds of that game. And I was away for the weekend. I was in Los Angeles, and I'll get to a lot of that later on. But I got the chance to see the second half of this game. You know, Auburn is a team that's going to chuck up threes. They're going to live and die by that, which they certainly did. It looked like they couldn't get anything going, especially in the start of the second half, where I think they went about six and a half minutes without scoring a bucket, where Virginia was not really pulling away, but they were certainly playing a lot better. And as we all know, Virginia is not a team that's going to light up the scoreboard by any stretch of the imagination. But with that being said, the game certainly didn't turn around until Ty Jerome got that fourth foul. And then Auburn started them out that comeback, which they actually had the lead late in the game. Actually had a four-point lead at one point. And then let's just get right to it. For the season, for 
a chance to go to a national championship game, to come down to that play, I detest. Was it the right call? It was. Because as much as the Auburn player tried to pull up, he did make contact with him before the ball was released and in the act of shooting. So therefore, it's a foul. But for it to hinge on that play, it just makes you sick to your stomach if you're a sports fan. You do not want the game hanging in the balance off of a play like that to go to a championship game. Now we get that Kyle Guy had to go ahead and make the three free throws, which obviously were critical. And they were the most pressure free throws that anybody on the planet, I don't care if you're a freshman in college or a 15-year NBA pro, those are free throws that you need to have ice water in your veins to make those. And give the kid credit. He made all three to propel them to a chance to win a national title, which takes place tonight. But when you go back to that play, and that's what everybody's going to think about in this tournament, unless you get a just a rock'em, sock'em classic tonight. But a lot of people are going to look back in this tournament and they're going to look at that call. And again, that's a call that I certainly loathe. I hated it when I watched it. I couldn't believe it. But it was the right call. I mean, what could you say? And you get that ticky-tack calls or plays like that. You could see if it was blatant or not even blatant. Let's say if he went up arms and there was contact where he hit him on the elbow or on the wrist. Then you could live with it if you're a sports fan and say, okay, well, hey, that was a blatant foul. He's going to go to the charity stripe, see if he could tie the game, take the lead. And if so... We'll have overtime or he'll be a hero down in the mid-Atlantic states, especially in Virginia. But for that play, as the player just pulled up and his stomach hit him right in the hip, you're going to look at that and say, geez, the ref couldn't oversee that. The ref couldn't just swallow the whistle at that point in time. And who knows where that rebound would have gone. As a matter of fact, I've seen the replay a zillion times. And that's one thing I should have retained is where that ball went. But of course, the whistle was blown. So the play was dead after the ball did not go through the hoop. But for this game to end the way it did in Auburn, for this magical run that they had. And we know the teams that they beat along the way. And for Bruce Pearl, who I get is... I'm sure he probably hasn't slept since then. This is just a bitter pill to swallow, but you can't blame the refs. It's a call that unfortunately had to be made. But of course, you would have liked to have seen it in a situation where you could go ahead and not think that it's just a borderline call. Because I'm sure not only the people in Virginia, but sports fans like myself, you go, ah, come on. Really going to call that? The ref has to call it. Could you imagine if they didn't call it and whomever makes the rebound at that point, and remember, it's .6 seconds. So by the time the ball clanks off the rim, the game's over. You can see it was like 2.3 and let's say, for instance, if somebody from Virginia had recovered the ball and then they were able to put up a last gasp of a shot. And if you're Virginia, you could say, oh, wait a minute, we still had a chance. No, that shot was it. That was the game. And give the kid... All the credit in the world for making the free throws. I mean, it, <laughs> what more can you say? The guy, even after the game in the press conference, he said he was scared to death. And rightfully so. I mean, if he would have said you anything otherwise, 
You would have looked at him like he's crazy. Because as I said, if you were a walk-on freshman or a 20-year vet in the NBA, you're still going to have those butterflies floating in your stomach knowing that your season is hanging in the balance on those free throws. I'm not going to say it marred the game. Of course it's going to mar it because there's controversy involved. Obviously it's not as controversial and I'll switch gears here with sports. It's not Rams Saints to that acknowledgement because everybody wants to now reinvent the wheel. They say, oh, well, you can only make certain calls in certain parts of the game. You know, what, is that call going to be made in the first half with 10 minutes to go or even in the second half with eight minutes to go? But here it is on the final play of the game, which could have had Auburn go to its first ever national title that, oh, you know, we have to review that. No, come on. Sorry. It was a call. It, if he didn't make any contact, if it was a phantom call, anything like that, then, of course, that will come into question. But you can't look at it that way. There was contact made. I understand where he hit him. Again, it wasn't the elbow, it wasn't the wrist, or the arm, anything. But you know what? Whether it was his hip, whether it was his ankle, whether he brushed his sneaker, who knows? More often than not, they're going to make that call. And it's not a bad call. It's just one of those where you unfortunately have to swallow it and say, oh man, that just bites. And not necessarily if you're an Auburn fan, just if you're a basketball fan or a sports fan like I am. Listen, Auburn's not my team, so I certainly didn't lose any sleep over it. But, geez, that is not the way to end the season. Not the way to have a, really a last second play be defined by your run through the tournament. And the one thing that you're going to come away with moving forward, if you're a, a, a Virginia fan, is that This is going to be remembered forever only if you win tonight. Because if they happen to lose tonight, then everybody's going to forget about it. Yes, in the annals of Final Four history, of course, it's going to be brought up. But they need to win tonight. And we'll get to Virginia tonight against their opponent, Texas Tech. And this was a game I said last week to transfer now to the second game. When... This Final Four was set up and you looked at Michigan State with Tom Izzo and all the pomp and circumstance behind the Spartan team and him and beating Duke and being able to get over the hump, especially with Krzyzewski and his record against him, which I believe at the time was, he was 3-11 and and 1-7 in the tournament, somewhere along those lines. But when these two teams were going to match up, and I said it last week, the first one, the 50, was going to win the game. Funny enough, if the score was 50-38 to 38 and you're thinking, geez, Texas Tech is just going to cruise. Michigan State couldn't get any offense going. Texas Tech plays just hellacious defense, as you saw. And then they actually made a furious comeback. They cut it to within three. And then, of course, the big shot at 55-51, the three would pretty much ice the game. And you have a guy, Matt Mooney, who certainly put himself in his Final Four history by scoring a career-high 22 points making threes left and right, and Texas Tech making their first ever title appearance in the NCAA men's basketball tournament. And kudos to them. And kudos for this game tonight because you're going to have two teams that are playing for a title for the first time ever. And not only that, it's the first time that two teams are going for their first ever national title since 1979. Do you remember who played that night? Indiana State versus Michigan State. 
And we all know that was the beginning of the decade-long rivalry between Irvin Magic Johnson and one Larry Joe Bird. So you have an anniversary of sorts with Vodtech, excuse me, Vodtech, Texas Tech, and now Virginia. And pretty much what you get from this game tonight is what you're going to see or what you have seen so far in this Final Four. You're going to get two teams that are going to just play lockdown defense, ball control offense. This isn't going to be any type of run and gun or high-flying, fly-slime-a-jamma. You're not going to see any of that in this game. I know the neophyte college basketball fan who is looking for anything fancy, dunks, offensive displays, you're not going to get it here. You may get another one of those first one to 50 is going to win this game. And you know what? I think that would be good. Because just like in the NFL, and I get that we're in the age of offense, everybody wants to see home runs, everybody wants to see touchdowns, goals scored, etc. But if you're going to have two teams that are going to play very top-notch defense, as good as two teams that this country has to offer on a collegiate level, I think they could lead to a very fascinating matchup between two teams that, let's face it, one a lot of people expect to be here, and the other no one expected to be here. And the storyline for tonight, as I said just a couple minutes ago, and which was to me the second storyline of this whole tournament, was what Virginia was going to do based on what they did last year, losing in historic fashion in the 116 game to UBMC. And now here they are, 40 minutes away from erasing what happened last year. And a lot of teams don't get to do that in any sport. A team that suffered a monumental upset to come back the following year and have a chance to win a national title. I'm not going to say it's unheard of, but can you think of a team that's done that in any sport? I think the closest would be the Red Sox in 2003 when they lost to the Yankees. Remember that Game 7, of course, everybody knows in this neck of the woods. And then the following year, down 0-3, they come back, beat the Yankees, and then they win the World Series against the Cardinals. But remember, the Red Sox weren't heavy favorites. It's not as if they went into that series against the Yankees thinking that, oh, did they have every shot to win? And this is a foregone conclusion that they're just going to sleepwalk. But you get the gist. It's not really the same level, but for them to bounce back the following year after suffering just a heartbreaking loss. But again, it wasn't historic. So now you have Virginia who can certainly pull it off, win tonight, and then Texas Tech could try to win their first ever title. And the same for Virginia. As far as the lifting that trophy over their heads for the very first time in school history. How I see this game playing out? If Texas Tech wins this game, would I be shocked? Absolutely not. I would have to say Virginia, and I'm sure they're going to be, they've been saying it probably since the buzzer went off after the first game there, Saturday night, when they went to the locker room, they all took a collective deep breath and they said, we have one more. We can erase everything that happened last year, exercise that demon in one fill swoop by just winning this next game. It's not going to be easy. It's certainly going to be a grind. But guess what? Nobody will remember, well, I can't say that, nobody. People will remember that loss last year 
that 116 game. But then people are going to follow it up by saying, oh, but they became champions the following year. And how many teams can you say that? None. Because that was the first time it's ever happened in the history of the sport. And for them to bounce back the following year will certainly be the remedy for that. I understand by picking Virginia, it's not going out on a limb. I just think that the magic carpet ride, as I like to say from time to time, is just on their side. But Texas Tech, I'm sure they're going to put up a great fight. And if they win the game, I'm not going to be floored by any stretch of the imagination. But let's just hope that they have a very good game tonight. I think it can be a very good game. may not be as entertaining as people would like. But at the same time, hopefully the way this tournament has gone on a whole, and it's been... It's been excellent. I mean, you certainly can't look at this tournament and say, eh, it was a bore. The real bore was the Thursday, the first Thursday and Saturday of the tournament. Other than that, you've had a, on a scale of 1 to 10, you, you haven't had a 10, but eight and a half, nine is pretty high. And I understand CBS probably didn't want to have this matchup. Of course, they want to have Duke in this game. And you know they were Duke, North Carolina. They were hoping and praying for that. But they got what they got. And it's not the sexiest matchup in the world. At least you have one last number one seed standing. But I'm sure they're hoping for a good game and they're hoping for a high rating. And that's all can be said. So I think Virginia's going to somehow, some way pull this off and get that national title that they're ser- they're, they've been searching for. So that's your deal with the college basketball. I understand, barring anything crazy... I'll certainly maybe put up a a vlog about it tomorrow. I don't know if I'll do another podcast. I mean, again, unless it's just one of those for the record books. You know, you had a little NC State Houston type of deal. But as of right now, I won't be on the air to follow up on this. And next week, I'll probably touch on it just a little bit. But again, I understand it's be a week old. But if anything crazy does happen, be sure to check any of my social media Accounts, J Reels, J Reels one on Twitter, J Reels is Instagram. And I'll put up a vlog in reference to that. Or if not, if it like I said, if it's something that I absolutely must release a podcast for, just check any of my social media accounts and I'll be sure to post one up here on the uh, jreels.com website and anything that you'll see on social media. All right, we still have baseball to come, NHL playoffs. I'll stick with the round ball and go to the NBA as we're down to the final couple games of the NBA season. And for those who follow the Brooklyn Nets, they made the postseason. At 8-18, eight and 18, when they lost that game to the Thunder, and I'm sure the Net fan was thinking, well, hey, we weren't expected to go to the playoffs, but nobody was expecting us to start off at 8-18, and 18, considering that they lost their best player in Karis LeVert at the time. D'Angelo Russell certainly wasn't blossoming into the All-Star that he became this year. Spencer Dinwiddie, who was a very good glue guy and a sixth man, was on the shelf for about six weeks with a bad thumb. And with an organization that had suffered through the Billy King era and the trade, as it's been well known here in New York City, the old Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett for the boatload of draft picks that went to Boston. The Net fan at that point, I'm sure, was looking at their ceiling saying, this is never going to end. We're never going to get out of this mess. Well... You made the postseason. I said it a couple weeks ago. It was important for this team to make it the postseason for this reason. They're going to have a lot of money under the cap. They could actually bring in a top flight free agent. 
And by them not making the postseason this year, I think would have factored into a player making a decision to come here. Even with the Knicks, as bad as they've been, and they're going to have a top pick and also a chance to get two big free agents in the Madison Square Garden. But even still, to compete with the Knicks, they needed to make it to the postseason because at least they had that chip. At least they could say, well, hey, we're on the come up. We're, we haven't arrived, but we're getting there. And we need X player to take us to that next level. Well, here we are with the Nets losing the two games early this week to Milwaukee and Toronto. And doom and gloom was certainly a cast over the Barclays Center as they had to go on the road to Milwaukee and Indiana over the weekend. And what did they do? They actually won both games on a back-to-back. Granted, Giannis didn't play against them on Saturday with a Nets win. And then the Pacers, who are certainly coming into this final stretch of the season here, limping as they lose to Boston two nights before that and then losing last night to the Nets. So the Brooklyn Nets, that's right. I made it, for the, made it to the postseason for the first time in four years. Right now they're a sixth seed, but that could flip-flop because the... Eastern Conference certainly hasn't rounded out or rounded into shape as far as the last few seasons are concerned. And just to touch on that a little bit, right now the Nets are the sixth seed in the Eastern Conference, followed by Orlando and then the Detroit Pistons. Now, I'm not going to go through all the permutations of what could happen here. Obviously, the Nets control their own destiny. If they win their final game against the Miami Heat, which is on Wednesday... If they're able to do that, they'll stay at the sixth seed. Everything will be fine. They'll Chances are they're going to play Philly because Philly's locked in at the three seed. And then away you go. But any type of losses by them. And then we have the situation where Orlando has two games. Detroit has two games. Miami has two games. So if by any stretch of the imagination, the Nets do not come out looking good. As a matter of fact, let me just double check something. Yeah, looking here at the standings, I just want to be sure that I have this accurate because I could have sworn that the Nets were... No, they're actually 41. Let's see. Yeah, they are 41-40, and 40, just like I thought. So they do have the one game left against Miami. But then Orlando has the one game left, and the Detroit has two games left. Now, here's where we get a little bit of the, the craziness at the bottom part of the Eastern Conference as far as uh, 6, 7, and 8 is concerned. Now, Detroit, if you're wondering with those two games, tiebreakers and things of that nature, right, they, they could fall six through eight no matter what. That's the, the Brooklyn Nets concern. So I'm sure you want to stay where you're at right now. You want to play Philly, and I understand Philly is going to be a tough customer, but I'm sure if you're a Net fan, you'd want to play the Sixers more so than if you're a seven seed and want to play Toronto or worse, an eight seed and play the Bucks, who arguably have been the best team all year. And if you're also the Nets and you're thinking is, all right, well, Philly's not going to be a, a, you know, it's not going to be an easy task by any stretch of imagination, but think of it this way. Yeah, their starting five is going to be tough. Their starting five, we all know who the players are, but the Nets are a little bit deeper. And the good thing is they have a big man that can somehow contain a one Joel Embiid with a Jared Allen. So that's going to help you. And you also have the point guard and D'Angelo Russell, which is a big advantage for the 
Nets over the Sixers in that regard. And right, I'm, I understand they'll probably put Jimmy Butler on him on defense. And I'm sure they'll probably switch at certain points. But at the same time, they would match up better than a Toronto team where obviously they have the point guard. And even though Lowry's been, you know, hasn't really been healthy, but you got to look at the advantages where you could get them. And then the Bucks, like I said, they've just been obviously the best team in the East. They've had the best record in the NBA all year. They beat Golden State twice in the regular season for what that's worth. And that was very early in the season. But still, you want to avoid them despite the fact that you beat them a couple nights ago. Minus, more than likely, the uh, future NBA MVP of this past season in a one Mr. Atentacampo. So if you're the Nets right now, you want to try to stay in that six seed. You don't want to play Toronto. Nor do you want to even think about playing Milwaukee. So hopefully that will play out and you could go about your business and get ready for round one down in the city of brotherly love. As far as the final seedings there, if the Pistons who control their own destiny, they win their two games, they're set. They can't make the postseason if these things happen. If Miami were to make the postseason and they're the ones that certainly need all the help in the world, they need to win their two games against Philly, which they'll probably rest people the game is down in Miami, and then they go to Brooklyn. And Brooklyn, again, for seeding purposes, they may want they may need that game. Miami only gets into the postseason if they win those two games, Detroit loses those two games, and then Charlotte loses one of the next two games. Charlotte makes the postseason by winning their two games and the Pistons losing one of the next two games. So that's what you have going down there as far as the bottom part of the playoff bracket in the Eastern Conference. And then as far as the West is concerned... The one thing that you're going to look at here is the bottom three seeds there. They're all separated by half a game. In Oklahoma City, San Antonio, and the Clippers. And obviously they want to do whatever it takes to avoid being the eight seed because that means they have to go to Golden State to start their postseason journey to a Lawrence O'Brien trophy. The one team that when you look at, and I've never been a fan of, And I'll probably come back later in the week because I can't really preview any playoff series unlike the NHL since the NHL is starting on Wednesday. But later in the week, I'll probably see if I can get somebody on A. As a matter of fact, I think I'll get Gerald on. I had Gerald Brown to handicap the NBA season if you recall back in October. Uh, I'll get in touch with him this week and see if we can get him back on the air to at least post something for Friday. So we could go through these postseason matchups. But the one team that's dangerous and I don't like him And I don't trust them. But the Rockets, man, have they been on fire. And I'm actually angry at the Rockets as I picked them as an over. They were 54 and a half. Well, guess what? If they win the next game, they're going to be right at 54. So that means I lose. And that was after an 11 and 14 start. And since then, they've been 42 and 14. Just goes to show you the type of year that they've had. And again, last night, they would have 27 threes in a game, which broke their own record, which is just ridiculous. But then that's how they lost to Golden State last year when they couldn't even make a three to save their lives. So Houston's a team, obviously, that's going to be a focal point in the Western Conference, especially if Golden State's going to be upended and slowed down as far as being picked off for a third straight title and a fifth straight NBA Finals appearance. And, you know, you have OKC, which I'm sure they don't want to play them in the first round, although they have the you know, they have a guy in Russell Westbrook who we all know is fearless and for the third straight year averaged a triple-double, which is unbelievable to think, even though at times he chases these numbers, but still. 
know, who knows with Denver. I don't think Denver's ready, despite the fact that they're a great year. But we'll talk about this more later in the week as we get a little bit closer to the NBA postseason, which is just days away. But uh, I can't get further deep into any type of speculative, speculative, excuse me, or just to talk hypothetically about which teams are going to be playing in the postseason because it doesn't make any difference. Because I could say, oh, it's going to be Brooklyn and Philly in the first round, and then they lose their final game, and the Pistons win there too, and then next thing you know, they're an eight seed, and then here I am at the end of the week saying, well, I guess it's not Brooklyn and Philly, it's going to be Brooklyn and Milwaukee. So I'll hold off on that until then. Now, that's pretty much your NBA. Nothing else I've really discussed. We'll go through all the seedings there later in the week. You know, I'm not going to talk Celtics or, you know, they lost to Orlando last night. You know, a lot of people thinking by beating Indiana. And even though they're a game ahead of them as far as the 4-5 seed, but at this point, there's no need to talk about it. Just get to the postseason. We'll hash it all out then, and that's it. I'm tired of talking about the Celtics, just like I'm tired of talking about the stupid Steelers and uh, Antonio Brown situation, But which I'll get to in a little bit. But that's what you have so far with the NBA. And yeah, let's talk about this real quick with the stupid over-unders. Oh my goodness. All right, so I mentioned my Houston pick. Now, you want for grins and giggles, my record's going to end up being 1-5, which is just downright awful. But you know what? There is That does come with a little bit of a caveat, only because of what I mentioned about Houston before. Houston definitely should have been over 54.5. They're going to be probably right at 54. They may rest players, who knows, so they may be at... 50, uh, sorry, yeah, they may be stuck at 53. I picked Detroit as an under, and Detroit came on strong here toward the end of the year, and good for them at 37 and a half. So they were at 39. They could go to 40 or 41. Toronto, I thought for some reason, even with Kawhi Leonard being there for one year, but the antics that he pulled in San Antonio, going to a, not only a new city, but a colder city with a new coach. Remember, they fired Dwayne Casey. And I just thought that this was going to be the same thing all over, despite the fact that he was going to be a free agent and he's going to be on his best behavior. But still, he's missed a ton of games this year and they still perform well. Orlando, and again, they've played well down the stretch, so I had to bite the bullet on that. Dallas, who I thought they were on their way and they certainly played well. We know Luka's had a phenomenal year. Chances are he's going to be the rookie of the year. But they certainly have not played well here over the last six weeks or so. So they've fallen short. And the only win that I had was Denver. So my over-unders have just been brutal. NFL was 2-3-1. and one, And here we are now with the NBA 1-5. and five, And we'll see what happens with the baseball. And obviously it's way, way, way too early to even discuss that. So we'll just leave that right there. Uh, real quick, you know what? Let's do... Uh, We'll stick with the winter sports. I'll go to hockey, then follow it up with baseball. And then this, uh, this deal with uh, Juju Smith-Schuster and... Antonio Brown, because you know I got to throw that in the mix. As far as the NHL is concerned, yes, the Islanders made it to the postseason. Crazy to hear that they've actually had the most points in a season since 1984, the year they went for their drive for five when they lost to Edmonton in five that year. And what can you say about their season? We've talked about it for weeks on end, and not to rehash everything that's transpired with this team. Excuse me, but they were able to secure the home ice in the first round. It's going to be on the island. Starts Wednesday against the Penguins, which isn't going to be easy. We understand the Penguins and their pedigree, although they're older, even with all the experience and the cups, the hardware, etc., and the Hall of Fame talent. But you wonder whether or not are the Islanders going to be built 
to play a team like this in the first round. I think it's an absolute, it's the best test that they could possibly ever have. I know that they could have come close to playing Carolina in that first round where the Islander fan would say, hey, you know, if the Rangers just would have held on to had win a couple nights ago, then it would have been a thing where, who knows, we would have been facing the Hurricanes in the first round. You know what? It didn't happen that way. You can't think that way sometimes because generally what happens is if you're going to say, hey, I want Carolina, and then you lose to Carolina, it's like, well, it was all for naught. No. Let's play the Penguins. Let's play Sid the Kid, uh, Evgeny Malkin and company, and let's just take a stab at this thing. So the Islanders, if anything... The one key thing that you're going to take away from this first round series, and we understand it's not like the NFL or even baseball to a certain extent where managers have to make certain moves. But the one thing, the one, I don't want to say saving grace is a little too strong, but the one thing that is in their favor is the coach. This coach, Barry Trotz, has seen this team over and over and over and over again. More heartbreak than not. But the one not was last year. When they finally were able to get over the hump and beat the Penguins in the postseason for them to go on to the Cup. And then we all know the Capitals won the Cup against the Vegas Knights. I'm just going to take this round by round. I don't know how far this Islander team could go. This Islander team could be one and done. Or who knows? Maybe they could make a run to a conference final. I think this is going to be a big step. You know, when they two years ago when they played against the Panthers... They were better than the Panthers. And I'm not going to sit here and say that, oh, well, they were pushover. The Panthers, you know, no playoff pedigree. Yeah, they made it to the Cup in their second year of ex- uh, third year of existence back in 96. John Van Beesbrook, the rats on the, plastic rats on the ice, all that. But again, you're not going to look at the Florida Panthers. It's certainly not going to be confused with the Montreal Canadiens. But how I looked at that going into that series, oh, yeah, you know, Islanders were favored. I think they're going to win the series, and they won. Their first playoff series win in 25 years at that time. But now, playing this team, I think it's going to be a true test. I can see it being a long series. I'm just going to hope that the old barn gets loud, gets feisty. Maybe they can remember what happened six years ago when they lost in the first round to the Penguins. Remember, they lost in that overtime game at the Coliseum in the game six. And somehow, some way, they can prevail and go on to the next round. That's what I'm hoping for. I really, truly feel that they can beat this Penguin team. Just because they have the three Stanley Cups in their closet and former MVPs, Sidney Crosby, and guys of that ilk, Hall of Fame talent, that doesn't automatically mean that they're going to just push over the Islanders and win in five games. If that happens, that would just be a bitter disappointment. You know, it, just, it would be, oh, I, I couldn't even imagine if the Islanders bow down just that quickly. But it's going to be a fascinating series. I don't want to say it's going to be the old guard, new guard. I'm, I'm not going to go as far as that. But I think the Islanders certainly have a shot. If I have to make a prediction, I'm going to say the Islanders winning seven. I know it's a bit of a homer pick. But the Penguins, I think the Islanders can match their intensity. We all know Philly. Philly. Pittsburgh's a finesse team. They've always been a finesse team. Not to say the Islanders are a physical team because we all know the NHL is not built that way anymore, which that's a story for another day. But I think the Islanders... They know the type of year they've had without John Tavares and everything that transpired in that offseason. And here they are standing ready to await the big bad penguins of years past. Uh, as I said before, and I'll say it again, I think it's a very good test for this team. And I think it would be a very good test for this team moving forward if they were able to beat them here in this first round. 
And as far as the storylines here for this NHL postseason, the first and foremost for the Tampa Bay Lightning, it is cup or bust. Because here's a team that won 62 games. They're only one of three teams in NHL history to win at least 60 games. They tied the 95-96 Red Wings of uh, 62 wins that was matched the same year. And the Red Wings won a cup that year, if you remember. You also have the situation where they could be an all-time great team. Which is almost kind of hard to fathom when you think in Tampa Bay Lightning, an all-time great team. Well, if you win 60-some-odd games like the Canadians did and they won a cup or just like the Red Wings did, and we understand hockey is different. You know, hockey, when you look at that one team that, let's say, had as many wins as Tampa, and let's say they breeze through the postseason and win a cup, right, they're going to have to be ranked up there. But the funny thing is about hockey is that a lot of these great teams or great teams of all time, they're usually dynasty teams or dynastic teams, I should say. Because when you think of the Canadians that won 60-some-odd games, they won four Stanley Cups in a row. When you think of the Red Wings, 95-96, well, guess what? They followed that up with another Stanley Cup the year after. When you think of teams like the Edmonton Oilers, who won four in five years and five in seven, the Islanders of four straight Cups, you know, you think of those type of teams that have put runs together where... When you think of all-time great teams, it just right off the top of your head. If Tampa goes on, listen, if they go 16-0 or 16-3 and in this postseason, then they belong in that conversation. But it's certainly not going to jump at you like they would if you were Montreal, if you were the New York Islanders, if you're the Edmonton Oilers, the Detroit Red Wings. It's just not going to happen. And let's face it. We know Tampa, I understand, made down there maybe a hockey hotbed. And remember, they made they won a cup many years ago. They were in the Stanley Cup Finals against the Blackhawks in 2015. So it's not like this team's just come out of nowhere. You know, this team's been around for quite some time. They've made it to conference finals. Obviously, the cup final I mentioned. So now it's their time. So they need to seal the deal here. That's number one. The second thing is, is that the Caps, and I even throw the Vegas in the mix, can those teams make their runs back to the cup? Now, we, all, we just mentioned Tampa, so that's going to be the road through the east is going through the panhandle. But Vegas in a, let's face it, the west is not loaded. The west is wide open. Any one of those teams can come out of there. I understand Calgary is the team that had the most points in that conference. But I'm sure, just like the rest of that conference, they're looking at it and say, hey, we could beat those guys. Just like I'm sure whether you're in Nashville, whether you're in Winnipeg, whether you're in San Jose, they they look at them as they're equal. Whereas even with the Capitals and the year that they've had, they still got to look and say, and they beat Tampa recently down there, but they still got to look and say, wow, this Tampa team is 128 points and 62 wins. They're they're certainly, they're not going to roll over. So to me, that's the other storyline that I look at Especially out West. I, I say Capitals only because if they don't make it to the Cup, that's fine. They, you know, they finally got their Cup after so much turmoil and heartache and everything that happened over the years. But can Vegas make that deep run? Can they be that team to do it again and maybe finally seal the deal like they did last year when they made it to the Cup in their first year of existence? And besides that, I mean, it's the West, I tell you, man, no Chicago, 
No LA or Anaheim for that matter. No Vancouver, who had been pretty much playoff mainstays, you know, throughout the years. That hurts the NHL. Because I'm sorry, you look at the East, all right, you can say Tampa with all the points, but you know, you got Washington, you don't have the Rangers there. You know, you don't have Detroit, that's another team, but they play in the East. That's the one thing that hurts the NHL. Because they could break out the pom-poms, they could say all they want, Gary Bettman, so on and so forth, that, oh, it's great for the game, having these teams in these smaller markets, teams that a lot of fans or the hockey fans are familiar with, but not the average fan. But the sad thing is, is that they need the average fan to watch these games. The diehards will be there. But let's face it, is anybody, and I just hate to say it like this, but I have to, is anybody going to be running to the sets if it's Carolina and Winnipeg in the Stanley Cup Final? That's all there is to it. I mean, I, I couldn't even tell you. How are you going to get people to even, you can't pay people to watch that. You can't pay me to watch that Stanley Cup final. I'm sorry. <clears throat> There's just no way. And if you're going to be the pro NHLer to say, oh, but the game is as, best, is as great as it's been. The teams are that much more competitive. There's so much more parity, so on and so forth. But there aren't any major stars on those teams, at least for me. Right, if you're going to have the Penguins there, you already know Crosby, etc. If you're going to have the Capitals there, same thing. If you're going to have Tampa, at least you could say this team won 60 games, they could be an all-time great team. All right, even though five people, uh, you could take five people, the diehard sports fans in the street and ask them to name five Tampa Bay Lightning and they couldn't do it to save their lives. But guess what? If you say to them they won 62 games, you know they all these records, and then you can say, all right, well, wow, if they're that good, maybe I'll see them. I'll watch. But you mean to tell me that even if it's Calgary and Tampa, imagine that, that'd be a rematch of 2004. Calgary and Tampa, people are going to think Jerome McGinley is still on the team. I could have named five Calgary Flames right now. I could even name three of them. But that's just how, in my eyes, that's how much the sport has fallen because I can't watch the sport to save my life. That's just how it is. And that's, another, again, another story for another day. And if you've heard this podcast many times, you know that I'm more of an 80s hockey fan. The, the, this sport today is makes Disney on Ice look like, oh, I'd rather watch Disney on Ice. But anyway, I digress. The whole point of the matter is, people, is that the NHL could spin it however they want, but they need to get the sexy matchup. And last year, you had the sexy matchup. You had the great player going for his first cup, and you had a team that came out of nowhere in its first season, first season to go to a Stanley Cup, especially after the tragedy that they suffered just Weeks prior to the start of the season. Where are you going to get that this year if that team is coming from Winnipeg or Dallas? I understand Nashville made it to a couple couple years ago. What if it's you know Columbus? I mean, St. Louis Blues. I, just think about that. So that's what you have there. And I'm sticking with my Stanley Cup final. I said San Jose, Toronto. That's what I chose. I think San Jose's going to get back there. And remember, they made it to a cup final three years ago when they played the Penguins and lost. So we'll see what happens there. All right, let's turn to our attention to some baseball here. The Mets had a tough weekend where the Nationals came in and beat them two out of three. Opening day was uh, at home. Certainly wasn't a day at the beach for the Mets as they weren't able to get a run across. Syndergaard only gave up one hit. And you give, they did give up two runs, though, in the process as they lose 4 nothing to Victor Robles and company and Steven Strasburg. I get that people are going to look at the night before. The Mets were in Miami, and then they followed up with a day game. 
after a 6 10 p.m. start the night before. All right, but it's still, it's the home opener. You should be pumped up. You won five of your first six games. I don't want to hear it. They end up winning the game Saturday. Pete Alonso and Mr. Cano were vital in their comeback where Keon Broxton had the big hit there late. And then yesterday was just a disgrace of a game. They were down 12-1. They made it 12-9, which I was shocked to see. Certainly the game wasn't any indication on how close the score was. But it was just a sloppy game. Zach Wheeler's walking seven. Hit batsman. Sloppy play. Uh, just a brutal game. And right, when you see 12-9, you're probably thinking, oh man, it must have been a great game. Oh, it was far from it. So you had that to look at. Then the Mets have the Twins and they go to Atlanta this week. To uh, That's your week ahead. Jake is supposed to start tomorrow. Jacob DeGrom. Mets are off today. DeGrom originally was supposed to be scheduled to pitch Wednesday. But he's going to pitch tomorrow. So for the Met fan, like myself, we're going to be looking forward to seeing Jake continue his scoreless inning streak dating back to last year. I think it's 26 innings. And he already starting off this year with 13 in his back pocket. So we'll keep our eye on that. As far as the Yankees are concerned, they go to Baltimore and they just mash, 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 mash. I think they just hit another home run right now, which is uh, good for the Yankee fan as they got off to a real rough start there, two and four. And then they go to Baltimore and all their ills were cured by uh, seeing that Baltimore pitching. And the Yankees, now they look ahead where they play the Astros and then they come home for a long homestand, I believe starting Thursday. And the Yankees, again, they're going to be fine. I didn't. Th- everybody was ready to jump off the bridge after that uh, afternoon game against Detroit where they couldn't muster any runs. They lost four of their first six games. Sky was falling in the Bronx. And I just said, people, please. If you're going to start thinking that this team is not going to perform the way, they are, the way they're accustomed to performing, despite the fact that they're just losing people by the second. You know, it was Miguel Andujar, which we didn't talk about last week with this torn labrum. Could be done for the year. And all the injuries that amounted was Giancarlo. And listen, the list goes on and on. Hicks, etc. Yankees going to be fine. Hate to say it, but they're going to be fine. And the other news and notes that you have in baseball. What else? Oh yeah, let me talk about this real quick. If the Orioles and their front office couldn't have made the most, I don't want to say dumbest move. Because that, that to me, that's almost being complimentary. Why do they give Chris Davis a seven-year, $161 million contract before they even thought about signing Manny Machado is just the most ludicrous and absurd thing that you could ever imagine. And not with an I, with an E. Imagine. Chris Davis, who cannot buy a hit if he gave the rest of his contract back to the organization. He is currently in an 0-44 streak. Hasn't gotten a hit since September 14th of last year. He's two at-bats from tying the all-time streak, which is a guy by the name of Eugenio Velez who played for the Dodgers in 2011. He's a strikeout machine. He is literally an automatic out. And he still has three more years on top of this year that they're paying before the Orioles will just say good riddance. And the one thing that I think, as I said this at the, just a second ago, what possessed them to give him all this money when they knew they had a cornerstone player in Manny Machado. And it served them right for doing that. And I don't know what the numbers were that year. And Chris Davis, early in his career, was an all-star productive. He had 50-some-odd home runs one year. Was, I believe, second or third in the MVP in the AL 2013 off the top of my head. But come on. I, it's just the guy, I, I, I think I have a better chance of getting a base hit than he had. He can at this stage. It's, it's unbelievable. The guy cannot... 
he buy it. I, I tell you, it's it's absurd. You know, like and a guy like I said, MVP candidate, former All Star. You know, it's not like it's, I hate to say it. God rest his soul. You know, it wasn't Anthony Young when he lost twenty six straight games. You know, twenty six straight decisions for an MLB record, which is going to hold forever. You know, we're not talking, and I don't want to knock on a guy. God rest his soul again. He was a med, and when I'll never forget against the Marlins, they finally got him off the hook. He got a win, and that in 1994, I believe it was. But geez, and the Orioles can't do anything about it. It's not like the Yankees where they can say, "Oh, you know what? We'll just dump him. We'll buy him out, or whatever." And away we go. You know, it's not Jacoby Ellsbury. So that's just, I tell you, boy, being an Oriole fan, just knowing that you lose Machado and then this guy can't even, you know, even if you give him a bat the size of uh, Maryland and throw him a beach ball in the process, he still can't get a hit. So that's what you have there. As far as the rest of baseball, these are the three things that just, not, they don't even pop up. They just spring right at you. Cubs and Red Sox. Cubs 2-7, and seven, Red Sox 3-8. and eight. They had A game that they had to have before coming home. They won yesterday in Arizona 1-0. And how bad is that? And I get that these games are in the Northeast, but the Mets have played, the Yankees have played, Philadelphia, etc. How is it that you go from winning a world title in the Red Sox and you got to wait to April 8th or really the 9th because I believe their first game is tomorrow. You wait till April 9th to host your first game. You say, all right, that's not too bad. But after going on the road for 11 straight and on the West Coast for that matter... That's a disgrace. The schedule makers certainly were not kind to the Red Sox as far as that's concerned. And the Cubs, geez, two and seven. Could it get any worse? So those are the two things. And they actually have their home opener today. So both teams who have not seen or slept in their beds and the season started March 28th and here we are now 10, 11 days later and now they're finally going to get some home cooking. So that's the first thing that, that pops out for me. As far as the downside and as far as the upside is concerned, what about the Mariners? Who would have thought? Trey Cano, Trey Gene Segura, Felix Hernandez is obviously King Felix, his crown has been tarnished, and they're nine and two. Does this mean that they're start printing your playoff tickets in the Pacific Northwest? Absolutely not. But I tell you, nine and two, who would have thought that with all those moves that were made, that they would be riding high eleven games into the season? In first place with the best record in baseball. I didn't think so. And then you also have the Dodgers. Who are just killing it. Uh, Cody Bellinger already with 7 home runs. In the first 10 days. Sweeping the Rockies over the weekend. And then Trout. So much for pressure with the 430 million. He's only mashed in. 4 straight games hitting a home run. 5 home runs in a series against the Rangers. As he's off and flying. No, to no, so Nobody's surprised. And then you had the brawl in Pittsburgh yesterday with uh, Yasiel Puig pretty much going at it where Chris Archer throws behind one of the red players and then everybody comes out of the dugout and then it's pushing and shoving and then Puig, of course, with his short fuse just goes berserk and then suspensions haven't come down as of yet, but I'm sure we're going to see that uh, in the hours to come. Forget about even days. But that's what you have so far in baseball as far as your disappointments. And your bit of a surprises, and then the not so surprises with the Dodgers and Mike Trout. So we'll uh, certainly keep attuned to what's going to happen here over the course of this next week for the baseball season. And then to wrap up, before we say goodbye, a couple of quickies. One, the Jets got these new uniforms, where obviously I didn't watch the press conference or didn't get a chance to see any of this stuff, but for them to just 
plug New York, New York, New York, even across the top of the jersey there. Kind of bringing back the colors and the look of the 80s Jets uniforms. All right, they want to rebrand themselves, obviously, with the new quarterback. Well, he's new in a sense where he's just finished the year, the new coaching staff, etc. It's going to be a new regime in Jet history. But for them, they just say New York, New York, New York. Uh, come on, uh, who's kidding who here? But it's not about the uniforms, it's about them winning games. So we'll see if the new uniforms will actually uh, be a hit come September. And uh, let's see, what else I was going to say here? Oh, and the schedule will actually be out next Thursday, I believe. Usually it's out the week before the draft, and the draft isn't until two weeks from this coming Thursday. So you have that to look forward to. You also have uh, the situation there with, and I'm going to spend literally 60 seconds on this. Can Antonio Brown just shut up and move on? I get that a fan from Twitter came out and asked him a situation, something that happened with Pittsburgh and I think with AB. I forgot what the question was posed to him, but he responded by saying, well, yeah, in the biggest game of the year, he fumbled and pretty much cost us the playoffs, which was Juju in New Orleans as the Steelers were trying to go down to at 31-28, trying to see if they could go ahead and set themselves up in field goal range, and he fumbled in midfield, and you could see he was just beside himself after fumbling because he pretty much knew that that was their season. And AB's going to take a shot at him through Twitter about that. And I get that Juju bounces, you know, shot backs talking about his ego. Now, Juju, he should just take the high road. But Antonio Brown, he's the veteran. He's out of that situation. He shouldn't even entertain any thoughts, questions, comments from anything about his Steeler days. He's an Oakland Raider. But again, that's the type of player you're dealing with. And that's why I'm glad he's gone. Last time, hopefully, God willing, the last time, he's going to be tough to replace. And I'm not going to say Juju's going to all of a sudden have AB's numbers, despite the fact that he was a team MVP and he's had big numbers in his first couple of years on the Steelers. But man, uh, that circus is gone. And thank goodness for that. So I'm just going to leave it at that. And uh, also the Masters on Thursday. Get ready for the Masters. We'll certainly get into that. I can't even tell you who's going to be the favorite right now. Is it going to be, you know, the Dustin Johnson of the world, the Bubba Watsons who's won a couple times. What Tiger's going to do. Remember now, Tiger's, after that great ending of his season last year, has been okay so far, but it certainly hasn't jumped off the page as far as his play the start of this year. But the Masters down in Augusta on Thursday, which uh, should be picturesque down there as you're going to watch Thursday to Sunday. So we'll certainly touch on that next Monday on the pod. So we'll get ready for that. And then, like I said, later in the week, I'll see if I can uh, post up uh, an NBA playoff preview with my man Gerald. He doesn't know this yet unless he's going to listen to this at some point later today. So we'll have that in store. And finally, I just want to say this. I didn't watch a lot of the sports over the weekend. But, of course, I had a long flight back from California where I got to big up my guy, Victor, who was just very hospitable, generous for his time. I actually went out to run a race. And if you want to look on Instagram, if you're interested, I ran in a... Multi-lap race on Saturday, a little bit over 10K per lap. You had to do four hours, no more than that, and I did 18 and plus. So my toes are jacked, feet, but a little bit of soreness. But I just wanted to give him a shout-out. Him and all his buddies out there, Buster Brown, Trung, Ryan, uh, Georgie. I I don't want to miss anybody. Uh, I know I'm missing one last one. Franco. His sons, Nick and uh, Richie, they were all great. So I just want to say thank you to those guys as I just literally got back to New York a little over three hours ago. And uh, yeah, 
So I'm doing this kind of, I'm not saying I'm on fumes, but I'm certainly uh, running low on gas. But hey, the sports stories never end. And this is why I'm here to deliver this podcast each and every week for you guys to bring you all that's going on in the latest and greatest in the world of sports. Again, follow me on any of my multimedia, or I should say my social media, not multimedia. Hopefully one day it'll be multimedia, but social media accounts, J Reels on Instagram, J Reels One, just a number on Twitter, the J Reels Podcast on my Facebook page. Of course, the website, jreels.com, which uh, little by little I'm tweaking here and there, but I'll announce once I'm going to do a particular upgrade or certain things that you can look for on the website. For those tuning in for the first time, definitely check it out. There's a bio on me, all of my old past archived interviews, shows, etc. on there, and I'm hoping to get more guests in the week to come, weeks to come. And finally, people, please subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Google, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, Subscribe, leave a rating, post a review because all that's going to do is increase the visibility with the other sports podcasts in the universe and hopefully in turn will generate and spike up a lot more visibility amongst guests and amongst other programs like I said and your participation, please, it's greatly appreciated. I'm grateful, thankful for you taking a chance to listen to what it is I have to say. Some guy who just out of New York City independently produces, hosts, writes, edits his own podcast because he does it for the love and does it for the people out there who just enjoy sports, hates it, loves it, whatever it may be. I don't care. And leave a comment on any of my pages, questions, comments, criticism, praise, as well as an email if need be at the Podcast at gmail.com as I deliver each and every week what goes on in the diamond, the ice, the hardwood, gridiron, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, directed, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond. Peace, love, and God bless everybody. Enjoy the national championship tonight. Enjoy the baseball. The Masters coming this weekend. NHL playoffs. NBA playoffs this weekend. The best sports month of the year. Enjoy it all, people. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.